Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I have such a treat for you this week. We've got Brian Smith with us. Hi, Brian. Hey, Julie. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. I love Brian for many reasons, one of which is he also is a graduate of the Ohio State University, my alma mater. And so we have that in common. We laugh about that. I think I'm way more of a Buckeye fan than you are. You don't ever seem to get too excited about uh, it. I grew up in Columbus. My whole family went to Ohio State. I'm a pretty big fan. Okay. All right. You're just calmer than I am, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Everybody, let me tell you about Brian. Brian Smith is a certified life coach, grief partner, best-selling author and host of the podcast, Grief to Growth. I had the honor of being a guest on Brian's podcast. It was really fun. Brian's life was forever altered in 2015 after the death of his youngest daughter, Shayna, at the age of 15 and a half. Since then, prompted by the extraordinary visions and messages he's received from Shayna after her death, his spiritual quest has intensified. Brian's immersed himself in researching concepts of the afterlife with a scientific, spiritual, and philosophical approach. So, Brian, we got lots to talk about. Absolutely. I love that you've done all the scientific stuff and the research stuff and all of that. I, I'm just more like a wildcatter. I just, I just go where I'm led. But I love that you've studied this stuff mm -hmm. because you're so knowledgeable about the corroborating information and research that's out there. So to start off, tell us about Shana. Oh, Shana, um, Shana, as you said, is, was, is our youngest child, is our youngest child. Um, I don't know how you put that. She's, some people say forever 15, but she would be 23 if she were still on, on the planet. Uh, Shana was born, we could tell from literally the day she was born, that she was just a incredible, indomitable spirit. Um, Walked early, talked early. We homeschooled her for the first eight years, but she was uh, she worked a year ahead in school. She was a uh, national class volleyball player and basketball player. She played basketball for eight years, and then she decided to switch to volleyball. She played volleyball her last year uh, while she was here. Um, and as I said, Pat, as you said, she passed in the spirit at the age of 15 and a half after leaving a pretty big impact on people uh, then and even till today. Yeah. Oh, what a, she sounds like she was just such a joy and still is for all of you. What kind of signs and visions have you seen from her? Um, Shana, well, first of all, it, it was kind of like the typical things like, you know, finding feathers, finding when right after she passed, I asked her to send me dimes instead of pennies. So I found lots and lots of dimes, you know, feathers, uh, various things from birds and butterflies and stuff like that. But also, some pretty amazing stuff with technology. Like, um, for example, one time I was looking, I have a podcast and I was looking at my podcast on my phone 
And all of the covers of my podcast, every episode have been changed to a picture of Shana. And it was a, one of my favorite pictures ever when she was really young, she was stacking these blocks. And I had no idea how it happened. I was panicked because I thought it happened on my, you know, all over. And when I look, went and looked anywhere else on my web browser or anywhere else, it was all the normal pictures of the podcast. But only on my phone had all the change, all the covers changed to Shana. And then as quickly as they did, they changed back one day. Um, so things like that and, and just a, a number of other things as well. They stayed changed for a, for a period for of time? probably a week or so. Yeah, it was really, I actually have screenshots of it because it was, nobody would believe it. And, and I'm, I'm an engineer, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, how did this happen? But Shana was a technological, technological wizard. She loved playing with my phone. She liked, we had this little game we would play where I would change my lock screen to a picture of she and her sister. And then Shane would get my phone and unlock it and change it to a picture of herself. Um, so when she when she passed, I left that picture as my lock screen. So it has been that way since. But uh, yeah, that's that's one of the most more, one of the more incredible signs she sent me. Oh, I love that. Why is it that so many people say, "Well, I see a feather, or I see dimes, or I see pennies, or I see butterflies"? I mean, that seems to be like a universal thing, mm -hmm. and then they ramp it up from there. Is it that they're just trying to get us used to the idea of seeing things, and then we get to the place where we can accept more random, incredulous signs and not doubt them as much? Why, why do you think that is? Um, I think, you know, the, the the feathers and the pennies and the things like that, I think we all kind of expect those. I think we notice those. I think they're sending us other signs other times, but we maybe don't notice them. We don't think of them as signs. So if your ceiling fan, for example, is acting up as ours did and it's coming on at random times or the light's coming on, you might just think it's a glitch. Or if your power outlet goes out, which is one thing that Shane has done at various times, um, you might just think it's just, just a coincidence. Um, so it's a matter of, of really understanding the timing of the signs and understanding you know, the significance of them. So I think they, as we get used to the idea and we start looking for more synchronicities, then I don't know if it's that they give us more or we just see them more. What do you say to her when she's messing with your electricity and you need to use oh. it? Hey, Shana, knock it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, one time my computer was acting up. My hard drive was acting really weird. It was random. It, it would work sometimes. It wouldn't work at other times. And I called the guy that, that works on my computer and he said, I think you're going to need a new computer. And I'm like, I shouldn't need a new computer. So I, I asked Shana, I'm like, if you're doing this, you know, knock it off. And then it just started working again. It just worked perfectly. And the only reason I know it was a sign for Shana for sure was about a week later, I was, I had a medium reading and she said, Shana says that she messes with your computer. She sounds like techno girl, like you described. That's hilarious. I love it. How do they do that? Do you think? How is that possible that spirit can affect something electrical in our reality and they're doing it from their spiritual reality. How does that work? Um, well, from what I understand, everyone says it's all about frequency. And we know that electricity operates on frequency, electromagnetic, electromagnetic you know, waves and, and stuff of that nature. So I, I think there's there's something to that. Um, the, the bridge between our world and their world is not one that we understand, but there is a way that they can at least slightly manipulate things in our world. And that some people on that side seem to be better than others. So I always say, you know, for example, they can't like 
lift a car. But they seem to be able to to move, you know, small things have have a kind of a small effect on on things here. Exactly how it works, I don't think anybody really knows. But I I, I do work on the cell phone project, and we do have communication with people on the other side where they can influence um, things. To a, again, it's a pretty minor degree, but we can pick it up. When you said they can't move a car, I heard spirit in my head say, "Oh yes, we can." Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of hesitated when I said that, but we don't. We don't typically <laughs> see things like levitating, for example. Um, yeah, but yeah. we do see things like you know lights coming on and off and televisions, you know, operating. Where now there's another thing, you know, with synchronicities where people might come into our lives or event might, events might happen. And I don't think we really have any understanding of, about that if they're putting thoughts in our head or, or we don't know how that works. I, I've heard that a lot, that they do. They, they're they always putting thoughts in our heads and sometimes it'll ramp up. And sometimes that's why uh, medical conditions arise because we're not paying attention to the thoughts right. that they're suggesting that we need to do that are going to help us. And so it's almost as if they're saying, okay, I'm really going to get your attention here when this happens and do that. Say something about the cell phone project. I'm an advisor on that as well. Well, the cell phone for people that don't know is a technology that we're working on developing to communicate with people on, on the other side. Um, and where it stands now, it's more of a, a switch where we get yes or no answers. Uh, we're working on developing it hopefully into something where it could be like at least being able to to text to people on the other side. But what we are now is we we can get yes or no answers from people. We can get a binary response from people that, that are on the other side. Um, so there's similar things. You might have heard of Sonia Rinaldi's working on something or has technology. I've had her on the show. Yes, yeah, so but Sonia's yeah. is, is interesting. Um, the difference is this, is this is hardware and software specifically designed for communication with the other side. Um, it's extremely sophisticated and um, it's hopefully we're, we'll have it pretty soon where we can show it to the public. Well, and I equate it too, and see if this makes sense to you. It's kind of like a phone app. You know, you want to talk to your grandma. Okay. You get on your cell phone and Hey grandma, what's up in heaven? Kind of a thing. That's how I kind of envision it is. Are you doing this? Yeah, same? that's the hope. That's the, that's the hope that we can get it to the point where it's a phone app and we can make it be, you know, again, hopefully voice one day, uh, maybe even video, but certainly uh, at least text-based. And the thing that I love about it too, is it's with Dr. Gary Schwartz at the University of Arizona. So it's not like some fringe group in Area 51 working with aliens or something. I mean, this is mainstream academia that's doing this. And and they've proven already with their research, Dr. Schwartz has, that this has, what, a 99.9% effective rate, 99.9% assured, which is like unheard of in any kind of academic research. Yeah. The thing about Dr. Schwartz and another synchronicity is when I first started researching the afterlife, the first book I read was The Afterlife Experiments. And then 20 years later, I introduced Gary at a conference last year because I'm working with them on the cell phone project. But um, yeah, Gary is very rigorous in his research and won't, you know, it won't be released to the public until it's ready. You know, it's not going to be like it's 51% accurate or 75% accurate. Um, his vision is for it to be as reliable as your cell phone is. So that is the goal. Right. Right. You say that you know that spirit is real. You know that that life is a continuum that goes on after bodily death. Mm-hmm. 
instead of you believe. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the semantics you use. How do you know versus just believing and what's the difference there to you or is there a difference? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when it comes down to when we ask, how do we know anything? We say we know things, but we only have our perceptions. We only have our five senses that connect us to the outside world and we trust our senses, right? So, and, and we look at things like, I, I, I would say, I know the sun is going to rise tomorrow, even though the sun doesn't rise, the earth rotates. But I know that I'm, you know, the sun will, will come up tomorrow and we'll say things like that. But we never know anything with 100% certainty. Something could happen to prevent the sun from coming up. Um, and the things that I perceive could be, you know, illusions. But I trust my senses and I look for reasonable certainty. So I think it's more like more of an illegal term, for example. It's, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. It's to a preponderance of the evidence. And when it comes to that, if you study mediumship, if you look at near-death experiences, if you look at after-death communications, if you look at philosophies such as realism uh, or idealism versus realism, which is materialism, when I add all those things together, there's like at least five or 10 different aspects that we can study. The preponderance of the evidence shows that we do survive bodily death. So I say it's to the point where I would say, yes, I know beyond any reasonable doubt that we do survive bodily death. Well, and Dr. Schwartz agrees with you and all the research he's been doing for all of these years as well. So is there a difference between spirituality and religion? There's definitely a difference between spirituality and religion. Um, religion is a set of beliefs typically that are typically rigorous. Uh, a lot of times don't really encourage us to explore. Uh, they require faith. You know, sometimes religion will tell you, just believe this because I said it. Um, whereas spirituality is more typically more broad. Um, I've studied many religions. Um, there's a lot of truth in religion. I don't put religion down. Um, there's a lot of truth in religion. A lot of it overlaps. Um, but it, and it also overlaps with what spirituality tells us and what's, what science tells us. Um, I, 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 I'm kind of moving away from spiritual, though, or saying that I believe things because it tends to people think it's kind of woo-woo and it's opposed to science, whereas, again, I go back to the proprietors of the evidence. There's a lot of evidence that points to what I happen to believe. And when we talk about spirituality, a lot of times we think of what we call the supernatural. And I've, got, I've come to the conclusion that there is no supernatural. There's only the natural. And what we call supernatural is what we just don't understand yet. So, you know, 200 years ago, if we'd said something about viruses, people would have said that's impossible. That would be supernatural. If we talked about Bluetooth technology, people would say that's impossible. The way that you and I are communicating right now would have been considered beyond the realm of possibility. So I think what's what we call supernatural right now is really what we just don't understand yet. And what we call spirituality, again, is what we can't explain through our Western science, but it's absolutely true and it's being proven more true or more being proven true every day. Great answer. I've never heard that before, but what a great explanation about the supernatural. And back to the religion thing, I went through 12 years of Catholic schools and, and uh, I, when we'd ask questions of the nuns in class, they'd say, it's a mystery. Yes. And we were just supposed to buy that. It's a mystery. Yes. I'm like, eh, I don't know that that really counts. We, you know, we want to know what's the mystery. 
And and I think that's you make a really good point about that too. You're just expected to believe it because somebody that you follow is a perceived expert and is saying, yeah, this is the way it is, even if it doesn't make sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're told to just just take it on faith. And, and there seems to be in, in some churches, and I always I want to be very careful when I say some churches because there are different ones. But in, in many churches, um, the more outrageous the belief, the greater your faith. Uh, so they'll, they'll, they'll really stretch you to believe. But, you know, some of it just doesn't logically make sense. God is all loving. God loves you more than you love yourself. God loves you more than you love your children. But if you don't, don't, don't do the right things, God will punish you eternally without possibility of escape. Those th- two things don't go together. And I've questioned right. people about this. I, when I became, I was a Christian at first and now became a Christian universalist. And I was sitting at lunch one day with a guy who was a pastor at our church and another guy that was on the board. And I said, how can you believe this? What kind of sense does this make? And they tried to explain it to me, but then it finally came down to that 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 answer. Well, I, I just leave it up to God. It's, it's a mystery, but God's going to work it out. And I don't think God wants us to check our brains at the door we go, when we go to, even go to church. I think if, if two things are completely contradictory, they can't possibly both be true at the same time. And we get to decide, do we think God is a loving God or we didn't, do we think that God is going to punish people eternally for just believing in the wrong religion? Well, I'm hearing the engineer brain come out on that one. That's good, too. I love that. Were you raised in a religious or a spiritual family? I was. In fact, I had severe thanatophobia for most of my life because of my... What's that? uh, Fear of death. Extreme fear of death. Oh. Because of my religious background. Because, again, as a little kid, I've always been the kind of person you said, you know, you love that I've done the research. That's my nature. When I was a child, I would literally take things apart. Uh, You know, there was a radio that, that was broken in my house and my parents threw it in the trash can. I took it apart. I wanted to know how it worked. I would break things open to see what was inside of them. And so when I was in church and they were telling me these things, I was like, how does, how does this work? Why, why is this? Why is there original sin? Why does God hate me? Um, why does God consider me to be his enemy? You know, all those kind of questions just really bothered me. So that religious background and that fear drove me to study the afterlife, which is why I started studying it. As, as early as I did, I, I started studying it seriously, probably in my early 20s. Uh, and Shana passed away when I was 54. So by the time she passed, I'd been studying it for over 30 years. So is that why you say that your life prepared you for her passing? Because you had started studying this stuff early on? And what led you to study that stuff? Just out of the blue, you just thought one day, mm, I'm a pizza, I'm, I'm just going to study what happens to people after they it die. It was total necessity. I, I, I literally, when I was in my early 30s, um, when I was in my early 30s, I, I almost had a nervous breakdown. I went to see a counselor um, because I was having panic attacks. Um, I just had this fear that I was going to die suddenly. And, you know, I needed to know. And, and so... If your choices are, um, I, I couldn't believe in a God that would send people to hell. So I'm like, I don't know if I could believe in this God and love this God that they, like they tell me I'm supposed to. But then the other people were telling me that the, the materialists, well, when you die, there's going to be nothing. And I'm like, those are not, those are two not very good choices. I can believe I'm going to blink out or again, I can believe I'm going to, I'm going to go to heaven and face this God that says, you know, I know you really didn't love me because you thought I was a monster. Um, and so, I had to know. It was it was a it was a, a need to know. So this was, you know, I was in my thirties. This was in the uh, mid nineties, I guess. So it was before the internet was really big. 
So I would just go to the bookstores and buy everything I could find on any kind of spirituality, mediumship, near-death experiences, you know, whatever. Um, so that that started it, but it was a, it was a, a need. It wasn't really a, a desire or a chosen path. It was like I, I was going to go insane. Well, you were being led. I mean, you felt like you were going insane, but that was just how you were being led to really get your attention. Yeah, yeah. I, I think everything that's happened in my life has been there for a reason. So the reason why I, I have the, the information I have now, the reason I have the knowledge I have now is because I was I was set up to to figure it out, to find, to go down this path. I agree. I, I think all of us are. I, I So much of the work that I do is medical related and I was in the medical supply business for 30 years mm. and know what I know enough to know the perimeter and, you know, know enough to go find what I need that I don't know in, in my head, but I can look it up mm. kind of a thing. And I, I know that was preparing me for a lot of the work that I do, too. How do mediums work? What's your impression from a from a technical engineering standpoint, what happens when a medium is communicating with a spirit? What do you what do you think all, that's all about? Well, we could. I'm trying to give a short answer. Um, I, I, in fact, it's funny. I just interviewed Mark Anthony on my program to talk specifically about how mediumship works because people ask the question, "Well, why aren't mediums exact? Why why don't they know the you know why is it? It seems like they're playing Pictionary, you know those types of things." So really short answer is mediums are able to tune their brains uh, either. You can either look at it one way or the other, either to the frequency of the people in the afterlife and the people in the afterlife to their tune their brains or their uh, spirit to the frequency of the medium's brain or the medium's able to basically kind of get their brain out of the way. Because what's interesting about mediumship is brain activity actually kind of goes down. So I think our brains are filters that kind of filter out the spirit world. And, and so... The medium is somehow able to tune their their brain, their mind to the spirit of, of or the frequency of spirit. Um, so that's that's a really short, really rough answer. But if you think of it, they're kind of like a a receiver, but they receive. Um, it's not in English necessarily. It's translated by their brain into English, and so that translation process is why it's not extremely precise. It's not like sitting down having a conversation with somebody. They get impressions. They get feelings. They have different with like different clairs, they call them. So they might just feel like they know something or they might see something. They might hear something. And they're basically pick, uh, piecing all that together to give you a message from your loved one. Uh, and every medium operates differently. I, I've, I've asked a lot of them, what's your experience? And again, some will say, well, I hear this or I just know this or I'll feel a feeling in my throat, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you're right. I agree. Uh, he's been on my show too. He's fabulous, yeah. isn't he? He's a lawyer. For those of you, check out Brian's Grief to Growth podcast. And then you can also, we'll put it in the show notes here with the the episode that he was on for me. I just love him. He's a lawyer and he gets into the scientific stuff of what's going on with this spiritual woo-woo, whatever you want to call it stuff. How I perceive my communication and how I teach it is our heads are big satellite dishes and they receive and they transmit frequencies. Mm -hmm. Every spirit has a frequency they keep throughout all their lifetimes. And in order to get in touch with them, all you have to do is think of them and it immediately connects. And it's not, it doesn't need to be somebody that you knew. You could talk to anybody talk to Elvis or Mother Teresa or whomever. And it doesn't have to be a spirit that's deceased. 
because yeah. we can communicate with a spirit attached to a body still. It doesn't matter. And, and it opens up to your point at like a two way communication. The thing that I find interesting about this, and I don't know the answer to it, you may, when I get information, I get it in all the, I see things, I hear things, I feel things, I smell things, whatever. But I, I find that sometimes they'll give us information that resonates immediately. Sometimes they'll give us information that's going to resonate in a while. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they give us information of things that have yet to happen. Right. So I always say, stay tuned, because just because you don't understand it or it doesn't make sense to you right now, it may later today, it may next week, it may be something that hasn't happened. And all of us have bazillions of stories of things that transpired from that front. What? How can parents who've lost a child or any loved one, for that matter, begin the healing process? You and I are are very involved with the Helping Parents Heal organization. Mm-hmm. How? What are the the things that you suggest? And I know you work with a lot of families who've lost a child in particular. Tell us what you suggest and kind of what your methodologies and protocols are for helping people heal in their grieving process. Sure. Um, the first thing is there is there's no certain path to grief. There's no certain way to grieve. And so people often feel like, okay, this is really weird. Like, for example, someone might feel numb after they've lost a loved one um, and think, okay, well, there's something wrong with me. I'm not feeling anything. Um, if you've lost a loved one that's, that's suffered a lot, you might feel relief and then you might feel guilt because you feel relief because you're not, you know, no longer have to take care of them. So anything is, is fair game in terms of your emotions. The other thing I've found specifically about working with parents is there's almost always some form of guilt. Um, the parent almost always feels like I, I should have been there. Uh, I shouldn't have let them go there. Um, if it was a drug overdose, I should have stopped them. If it was a suicide, I should have known. If it was a genetic defect, I passed it along to them. So the other thing is like, okay, we have to get rid of the guilt. We've got to, we've got to stop the, the idea that you're uh, superhuman, that you're omnipotent and you can stop anything. Um, the other thing is to have hope, to know that um, you can heal, that it is possible because it feels impossible. I know because I was there I, uh, for, for about three years after my daughter passed. I was like, it's, there's no way. Um, so surrounding yourself with people who have had the same experience, uh, which I've been able to do through Helping Parents Heal and other organizations, to, uh, to see people who have, you know, have made the, the progress back towards joy and to know that you don't have to let go of your, of your child. Um, some traditional grief counselors will say, um, it's time to move on. It's time to let them go. It's time to get on with your life. Um, none of that is true. You can, you can continue to have your, your loved one in your life. That's what we call continuing bonds. So it's how do we honor them? How do we continue to carry them with us? How do we move, not moving on, but how do we move forward and moving forward with our loved one, knowing that we're going to see them again? So that's in a nutshell the way I try to work with parents. How do they continue with those bonds? What do you suggest? What have you found to be helpful for yourself and your family? Well, for one thing, look for the signs and synchronicities. Look for the fact that they are still active in your life, that they still care about what's going on day to day. Um, That's happened to me through medium readings, 
or mediums have told me exactly what, what my wife was doing or my other daughter was doing or things that I have been doing, you know, recently. Um, it's through things like honoring them through, you can do it through scholarship funds or getting involved in, in an organization that they would like to be involved in. Um, you know, birthdays, um, holidays, anniversaries are all tough. Uh, sometimes people try to avoid them. They try to ignore them. I say, don't do that. Lean into it. What we do on my daughter's uh, angel date and her birthdays, we go out for a pizza and ice cream. Um, do something that's their favorite thing to do and not wish that they could have been there, but think of them as being there with you. Um, and again, I've been told through mediums that they are there with you. Um, so honor them during those special occasions. Um, so those are just a few things you can do. Well, and I think that pertains to any deceased loved one too, mm -hmm. not just yeah. a child. I I always think at the holidays, what did your mother and your grandmother do? What was a family tradition that you guys did when they were alive? How can you continue that or how can you cre recreate it and take perhaps a, a portion of that and maybe add to it or maybe tweak it a little so that it becomes perhaps more accessible in this day and age. You know, I don't think you'd go out together to go pick the chicken that you're going <laughs> to eat for Christmas dinner, maybe, but you you fix chicken for Christmas dinner or something along those lines. So I think that we can adapt those things as well. What else can people do to just immediately get over the initial grief? How important do you believe ritual and remembrance ceremonies and things like that are when we lose a loved one, whether it be a child or whether it be anybody else who's close to us? Yeah, the I, I want to say this when it comes to that. You know, I, I was talking to someone who lost someone just two months ago. And they're like, okay, well, I know this stuff. I know how I should feel. I've got, you know, I have a belief that they're still with me. I have, a, you know, all the, all the, I believe all the right things. Why am I still, quote, stuck? You're, it's, at two months, you're probably going to be sad. You're going to be still in shock. I would say, especially if it's a loss of a child, a, a year or two years, still very early grief. So don't rush the grieving process. Don't think I should be over this by now. Um, there's going to be, there's a process that you're going to go through and, and the sadness and the longing and the anger and the guilt and all that is part of it. So you've got to work through it. So there's some things you can do in terms of, as you mentioned, ritual uh, to honor your loved one, to have, you know, a celebration of life or set up a meditation altar like I've done with my daughter with some some of my favorite things on it that remind me of her. It's a place I go every day and I sit and I and I, I do my meditation. Um, there, there are things you can do to, to continue to honor them, but I just want to make it very uh, clear to people, don't try to rush through the process. It's, it's, it's like trying to rush a flower growing. You know, if you plant a seed, it takes a while for that seed to grow. You can't, you could put all the water on it you want, it's not going to grow overnight. Well, and many experts I hear say you'll never get over it. It's just always you you learn to live with it. You never get over it. But you and I both being involved with the Helping Parents Heal organization, we were at their conference last summer mm -hmm. and they had a thousand people there. And and there were some tears, but there was a tremendous amount of joy. And I think it's a different way to 
survive with the the loss of a loved one. What what's the difference there versus how others are living their lives and and perhaps they're just really suffering still with the grieving process. Yeah, I, you'll never get over it. I've said that. Um the thing is, grief is not something to be get over. It's not a disease. It's not something that we're, we need to be cured of. Um, the analogy I like to use now is that the pain doesn't really get to be less necessarily, but you get stronger. So if you think about lifting weights, when you lift weights, you know, when you're first starting out, a 25-pound weight might feel very heavy. But after several months of lifting it, 25-pound weight might be nothing to you. So I think we do carry that with us. Um probably for the rest of our lives. We're going to have times when we miss miss our loved ones. I still have days when I do. We, my daughter's eighth anniversary just went just passed. And, you know, I was I was sad on that day. And when I woke up that morning, I was I was sad. But I was able to work through it. So I have a process that I go through to kind of get myself back to where, you know, I want to have have my mind. So the idea that when when you're in early grief and someone says you're always going to feel, you know, you're going to carry with it for the rest of your life. Yes and no. You're not always going to feel the way you do now. As you said at that conference, there is, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of joy in the life of the parents that I know that have lost their kids, but we still miss our kids. And we still kind of wish that they were here sometimes, and we still have that physical desire for them. So it's both. You carry both things with you. What is your process? Like on the morning of of Shana's angel, what do you call it? Angel day? Yep. That's her angel birthday what, kind of what a I thing. Call it. Um, yeah. Angel so for, for that day in particular, my wife and my, my other daughter, Kayla, who's still with us in the physical, um, we always do something on our angel verse where we usually go out for, as I said, pizza and ice cream. It happened to fall on a Saturday this year. So my daughter, Kayla's like, let's spend the day together. So we planned a trip up to a little town near us called Yellow Springs. It's a little hippie town, uh, a lot of shops and restaurants and things like that. So we were going to go up there. But for me, that morning when I woke up, I, I always spend time alone in the morning anyway. I walk for six and a half miles, you know, the first thing in the morning. So on my morning walk, I listened to some. It was really interesting because when the, the year, the summer that she passed, I listened to an album by a group called Evanescence. And it's a very sad album. It's, it's it, it pours out grief like you wouldn't believe from beginning to the end of the album. So I listened to that album at the beginning. But then when I made the turn, I was like, I'm going to listen to some uplifting music. So I started listening to to Macklemore and Michael Jackson, some stuff that really got me, you know, ramped up for the day. So by the time I got back to the house, I was going to spend the day with my wife and my other daughter. I was feeling pretty good. But I, I had to go through that process. I had to feel the feelings, to feel the grief, to feel the missing her, to reflect on the eight years it's been since I heard her voice. But then, okay, let's go back. Let's snap back to the reality that I live in and let's, you know, go out and spend the day with my wife and, and Kayla. Right. Do you think that we all have a plan of things that we want to experience and explore when we incarnate? Have you ever heard of Cozy Earth bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. They're made from organic bamboo and silk, are hypoallergenic and even antimicrobial. Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing. They've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So if you're ready to elevate your sleep, Cozy Earth has a special offer for just for my listeners. 
Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y-Earth.com and use code AskJulie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth Bedding. I love them and so will you. It's interesting. It's one of those things I'm still wrestling with. Some people say that it's all planned down to the nth degree. Uh, Swedenborg says down to the the last roll of a die that like God's in control of everything. Uh, Some people say that, you know, there's, it's all random. I think it's kind of in between. And there's a, uh, an author named Philip K. Dick, who's got some really good stuff. And he wrote a movie called the adjustment bureau. And that's kind of the model I go with now where there's an overarching plan, but there is free will. There is some randomness. I think there are agents in his movie. They were like actually agents and they were like reading these little plans and say, oh, she's off the plan. We need to go adjust her. So make her miss the bus right now. Um, so I think it's kind of like that. I think there's, there's there's room for free will, but there's an overall plan as well. And do you think some people talk about exit points, that everybody has a plan of when they're going to transition? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? And what it, what is the research show that you've investigated? Well, some people say we have one to five exit points um, somewhere in that in that range. There, that we do have multiple exit points. Um, what I've been told is you can't leave if it's not your exit point. So people that have had NDEs are often told it's not your time, and they're sent back sometimes against their will. Um, if uh, if it's not your exit point, I don't think you will leave. I think that uh, whether there are multiple exit points or not, I, I think that's still open for debate. Um, but I also believe that, you know, we have this, this idea in our heads um, that children should outlive their parents, that we should all live to 80 or 90 or 100. And if you leave early, that's, you know, that's against the plan somehow, or that's a mistake, or that's, that's bad luck or whatever. No, I think the people that leave early were meant to leave early. And, and I don't know about the research, but I've talked to many, many parents of Children especially left early, and they seem to be different kinds of kids. They say things that we wouldn't expect a child to say. They act in different ways. They're typically uh, high-functioning. They're typically, like, really full of a zest for life. They want to experience everything. And then a lot of times, you know, they'll again, they'll say things that we realize after they've left that somewhere on some level they knew that they weren't going to be here for a long time. Can you give us a couple of examples, some more with Shana, things that she said perhaps when she was little that led you, especially after she'd passed, to say, okay, there's way more to this story than this. Yeah, well, a couple of things. One thing really early on, this wasn't about exit points, but she and her sister were sitting at the kitchen table. I think they were about seven and four, and they were talking about, very matter-of-factly, about being in heaven before they were born and choosing us as their parents. I had never heard about pre-birth planning before that. I'd never heard about choosing your parents. I certainly not introduced that concept to them. They I, seemed to me like they came up with it on their own. Um, Shana never really desired to be an adult. She never really talked about being an adult. When she was about 10, I think it was, she said, I don't want to grow up. She said, I, I you know, she, and we're saying, Kayla, Shana, you have to. I was like, I don't want to get boobs. I don't want to have my period. And we're like, you're going to, you know, and she started, she started crying. Um, she just didn't really, and, and I would say things are like, Shana, if you keep eating the way you do, because she loved sugar, I'm like, you're going to be 400 pounds and have no teeth. And she's like, you know, she just, that Shana just had a, a zest for life. She was always, um, she would say things like, I like, I want to break my leg. And I'm, 
Shana, don't say that. Why would you say that? I want to know what it's like to walk on crutches. And actually, a few months later, she tore her ACL and she got to fit, she got to experience walking on crutches. And then the final thing was just a few weeks before she passed. It was June 24th when she passed. This was on Mother's Day weekend, which is what the first, second Sunday in May. So six weeks before she passed, maybe. She was uh, playing with her cousins. We were at my brother's house. And she said to my other daughter, when I die, I would like to be cremated and buried underneath her tree. And I didn't know this until after she had passed. And we were discussing what to do with her body. And we asked our, our daughter, Kayla, you know, what do you think about cremation? And she said, yes, I know that's what Shana would want. And we said, well, how do you know? And she told us that story. And we said, well, were you discussing that? And she said, no, I don't know why Shana said it. She just kind of said it out of the blue. So we had multiple indications that she knew she wasn't going to be here for very long. And I don't think she really wanted to be here for very long. And did you ever want to ask her or have you asked her perhaps through a medium or on your own? Why the heck did you why the heck did you live such a short life? Why would you choose that? What's the point in that? Yeah, it's a natural question. You know, the first medium reading I had was with Suzanne Wilson, who's just amazing. And she said to me, and this is the first one that introduced this concept to me, that Shana said that it had to be this way, that you planned it. And, um, you know, that you planned that, it. that we together planned it. So this is my belief about soul planning, work? you know, as, as parents, especially as children, we say, why would that be part of my soul plan? Well, it's not your soul plan. It's, it's our soul plan. I believe we come in as groups and I believe we sit down ahead of time and we discuss things together. And we certainly don't own our children, even though we feel like we would like to, um, they have their own souls. They have their own plan. They have their own destiny. So um, I don't really wrestle with that so much anymore. I get that question all the time. Why would I plan this? Why would I plan all this pain? Why would I? And I say to people, think about the things that we go through that we do plan. You know, I, we, I, got, I went to college. I, I majored in chemical engineering at Ohio State. That was tough. Uh, that was really for the toughest years of my life. Why did I do it? Because I wanted that degree. I wanted, that, you know, I wanted to have that, that level of education. Uh, when we, people that run marathons, why would you go through the training to run a marathon? Why would you run 26 miles? So why would you put your body through that? You want to have that experience. You want to, you want to feel that accomplishment. Um, so we do things even in this life that we have limited amounts of pain and we do it for a certain amount of gain. From a soul's perspective, any pain that we go through here is extremely limited. Um, it's temporary. There's, there's limits on how much pain we can experience. Um, so I think from the soul's perspective, it's like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, 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 I'll take that hit to, to further my soul's growth or your soul's growth. Um, you know, I, I don't know who made the greater sacrifice, Shana by leaving early or me by choosing to stay. Yeah, good point. Well, and I think too, past lives come into the equation mm -hmm. as well, because what did, what did she experience in a past life? What have you experienced in a past life? Were you the child that left early? Was she a parent mm -hmm. of a child who left early or the grandparent or the sibling or the friend or the colleague of the parent whose child died? I mean, the gosh, the possibilities are endless. And and we get a different perspective each time we go through it. I I always 
believe, I always think that time doesn't exist in the spirit world. I've heard that from umpteen bazillions of spirits that linear time as we understand it doesn't exist. And so how do you think that plays into soul planning with soul groups? Is it multi-generations of humans whose spirits are souls? And what's the difference between spirit and soul? Do you feel there's a difference? But are, are, is it like five generations of people that are in heaven going, okay, you're going to do this. And how about if I do that? And how, how do you think all that yeah, works? Yeah, that gets really complicated. Um, when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to time. You didn't think I was going to ask you easy yeah. questions, did you? Yeah. Well, when it comes to time, I've heard people say that time doesn't exist on, on the other side. And, but I have to agree with my friend, Kelvin Chen, who says, you know, if there's change, there's time. So if there's no time, then everything would be, would be stagnant. But I will agree that time doesn't exist the way that we perceive it. Um, so it, it's not linear time the way that we perceive it. And I believe that we can move through time. We can experience things that are in the past. We can probably experience things that are in the future because past and future are just as accessible. Some people say it's the eternal now, which is a concept that I, I can't get my brain around. Um, but certainly... And when you talk about spirit versus soul, that's an interesting concept as well, because we talk about reincarnation and we think it's our soul coming back over and over and over again. I think it's more complicated than that. I think our soul is kind of like a, it's a, it's an oversoul, I would use the word. It's a collection and it can send spinoffs of itself, which is our spirit that we have when we're here. And those spirits, when they go back to the oversoul, we share our experiences. So when I'm having an experience, it's not just for me, it's for everybody in my collective. Um, so that's a concept that's, that's brought about by the team books, which I, I'm a big, big fan of. So it's um, when you add all that together, we talk about the experiences that we have here and how, you know, how painful they are. When you think about they benefit not just me, but everybody in my collective. And if I go through something, that means you don't necessarily have to go through it because you can actually feel my experience. It all starts to make more sense and it also... But it's also can blow your mind. It can, it can really send your head spinning. Exactly. What's it? What's a spiritual collective to you? Um, you know, if you think of like about the cells in your body, for example, you know, the cells in our body make up our body. Um, they each they're all functioning, uh, and together they make up who I what I call Brian. Um, I think that's kind of the way the the oversoul uh, works to some somewhat to that extent, and. Um, so that's that's the best way I can put it, you know, where I am right now. Um, but I think, again, when it comes to soul groups and soul planning, you know, I, whether we're part of the same oversoul or not, I don't I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that we're we're all connected much more than we think we are. And, you know, people that have had NDEs come back and they say we're all one. So ultimately, we're all part of the same collective. But there are all these little parts of the collective, kind of like there are organs in the body and cells in the body and, and things like that. I have a, a priest friend whose grandfather was a druid and his grandmother was a mystic. He was raised by them. He's an Irish priest. Sean O'Lara is his mm -hmm. name. And he says, we're all part of source. We're all part of the divine and we're fractals. Mm -hmm of the divine. He's got his PhD in math. So of course he's going to talk in mathematical terms, which are way over my pay grade. But he talks about fractals that we 
we and and then there are lots of schools of thought too that we live multiple lives simultaneously mm-hmm. that makes my head want to explode right. do you have thoughts on that what do you think about well, that whole concept well that goes back to the eternal now and um so yes when we we think of of, of our lives as being linear and being sequential but um and it's easier to think of them that way. But the reality is I don't believe we have past lives. We have, we have simultaneous lives and they do influence each other. So we can think about um, a past life influences our current life. If you want to think of a past life, but also that influences our current life influences our, our future life. And when you get really deep into this and it's kind of like mathematics, right? You start off with one plus one equals two, and then you work your way up to like calculus or differential equations. So we're, we're, you and I are getting to the point, we're reaching like way beyond, I think what our brains can even understand and our, and our brains are limited. So we can only use analogies. We can only say it's kind of like this, but every analogy breaks down at some point. So no analogy is perfect. So we can start to kind of grasp it. We can, we can, we can play with these concepts, but if they start to blow your mind, it's like, you have to kind of like back off and we have to live in the fact that I do live in what seems to be a linear time frame. And I do have only a certain amount of time to get things done. That's the reality that I live in now. We, whether it's a virtual reality or not, that's those are the constraints I'm living under. Well, do you think that we're supposed to know this stuff? I think we're supposed to have the human experience, to your point. Right. We're not We're not intended to know everything while we're here. Um, and again, I go back to the, the near-death experience, and I've heard so many people say, I knew everything. And it seems like you knew everything, right? It's, it's relative compared to what we know now, you know, they remembered, but when they came back, they're like, uh, well, you can't go back with that. <laughs> you know, have to, when you're going to have the human experience, you, you can't go back with that. Um, so yeah, part right. of the, part of the reason we're here is to explore. Part of the reason we're here is to find out. And it'd be like, if you watch the end of a movie, you've ruined the movie. You know, it's, it's not, a, it's not the same experience. We want to have that thrill. We want to have the discovery. We want to have the, I don't know what's going to happen next experience. And that's the human experience. Well, and I find too that when we're on the adventure and we leave it open, things oftentimes unfold in much more magical and magnificent ways than what we'd envisioned Mm -hmm. if we are in a box with something. I'm an inventor and I'm a businesswoman. So a dear friend of mine is a she started the entrepreneur program at Southern Cal. And she said to me, well, you need to go get your MBA. And I said, I don't want an MBA. She said, well, why not? I said, I don't want my brain to be in a box. Mm-hmm. I have MBAs, lots of MBAs that work for me and have worked for me over the years, but I want my brain to be open. And this was long before I got into the, you know, the woo-woo space. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I didn't want to be corralled into a certain way of thinking. And so I think she understands that now. She just kind of always laughed at me, but, and not at me, but laughed with me about it. I said, I don't want you ruining my brain. She'd just laugh about that. Yeah, I think it's important to be open to, you know, to understand that things that sometimes our our oversoul or higher self might give us that we don't really necessarily want, kind of like a parent with a child. You know, the parent's not going to let their ch- your child eat cookies all day, every day long. For, as a child, you might think that would be great to have ice cream for breakfast, but your parent says no. And, you know, there are certain things that I've wanted in my life that I really, really thought I wanted was the best thing for me. And then later on found out it wasn't. 
um, things that were taken away from me. Even I was I was fired from a job, and I, and when you're fired from a job, you never say, "Oh yeah, this is great. I'm I'm glad this happened to me." Um, until five years later, when I realized if I hadn't been fired from that job, I wouldn't have left it, and I wouldn't have found the job I did find where I was making three times as much money and had a lot more independence. Um, and then I was fired from another job after that. And then I started my own company. Um, so we have, things happen to us. And so we we have to just trust, I guess, that the universe, our higher self or our, our God or whatever you want to call it, has the best in mind for us and, and have ourselves open to that. And choose your own path. Don't let people choose paths for you, like like you were saying. You know, an MBA might be the traditional path for somebody, but if you're a very inventive person, that might put your mind in a box. You might say, I don't want to do that. And I've, I've had people that have pursued musical careers. Everybody tries to talk them out of it. You know, you, you, you're you never going to make it as a as a bass player, for example. I have a cousin who's a bass player that's like world famous. Um, and, and so, you know, in, in a traditional lifetime, families say, oh, you can't do that. Don't don't pursue that. Get it. Get a math degree. That's what you want to do. Or get a STEM degree. Everybody, everybody's supposed to go into STEM now. But that's not for everybody. Right. I see the guitar behind your head there. Is that a bass or is that a regular? It's a regular guitar. I don't, I don't play, but I, I've taken lessons. But um, uh, <laughs> You don't play? You just use it for decorations? I, I, I bought it to play and I've taken lessons, but I don't, I, it's, it's, just, it's been hanging there for a while. But I do love music. Oh, I was going to say, are you playing with your cousin? <laughs> yeah, no, not no, not nearly at his level. Oh my gosh! Back to NDEs for a minute. What do you think goes on with those? I think NDEs. What do you, what do you think happens? I, I think they're highly tailored events. I think that they are they are for that person, but they're also somewhat universal. So it's interesting because while they're each one is unique, they also have universal themes. That's what I like to study. Is like what's the overarching theme? What's happening there, I think for a lot of people, it's a reset. It might be in their soul plan. Um, if you're not at this point, by the time you're 23, we're going to give you a reset. We're going to, we're going to basically call you home, sit you down, talk to you and say, you're not on the path. Uh, I think it's that way for some people. I think for some people, it's a way to open them up, to put them on it, maybe give them a mission to do. Cause a lot of people have them. I, I can't see everybody. But a lot of people have, they, they become like evangelicals when they come back. They're like, I need to tell everybody what I experienced. So they're little glimpses into what we experience when we actually finally cross over. Um, I'm starting to believe there's, you're not crossing completely over. There's like an in-between area where I think the NDE happens. So we've got this physical reality. There's the astral. The NDE might be in the astral, maybe a little bit above that. And then there's a level we go to that's a final, not a final level, but that's beyond that. Because in a lot of NDEs, there's a barrier. There's a, there's a, and it's some, usually symbolic. It might be a river. It might be a wall. It's just something that's like, people will say, I knew that if I crossed that, there was no coming back. So it's, a, it's an in-between place. And it's, I think, intended to give us all here hope, uh, to give us a glimpse into what awaits for us. I don't know. Sometimes maybe it's a mistake. Some people say they... They show up there and people are like, they look around like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. And they send them back. So there might be some of that to it as well. Well, I find it interesting in the common denominators in NDEs, regardless of education level, socioeconomic, cultural, whatever. And there seems to be 
a certain number of commonalities that most people experience. Have you found that? And what are those commonalities in the work that you've done? It was Jeffrey Long that that kind of identified the the, the most common elements. And I know Bruce Grayson does some work on it. The ones that we all know, um, the tunnel, um, the life review, um, seeing a bright light, seeing loved ones, um, a feeling of overwhelming peace, uh, sometimes seeing a spiritual being like Jesus or Buddha or something like that. Those are some of the common ones. And it's interesting, the more, it seems like the more elements people have, the more, quote, profound their experience is, the deeper it is. Sometimes people, it'll just be really quick. They'll be out of their body, they'll see something, they hear something, and then they're right back in their body. And sometimes they're very long and very detailed. It's like they've gone deeper into it. Um, but the those are, again, some of the common elements, and a lot of NDEs have, you know, a combination of those elements, but they're not all necessarily there. And I've often, often thought about, like, Okay, so what is the tunnel? Is that someone being like escorted through a certain area to get to another area? Or I'm, I'm not sure about that. But those uh, those elements are the ones we're all pretty familiar with. When I am working with somebody who's dying, they the spirit goes through a vortex, mm-hmm. a vortex near the last, I would say, quarter of what I call the 12 phases of transition. There is a vortex that... The, the spirit goes through as it's detaching from the body. And I've often wondered and have heard validation from spirit many times saying, yeah, they're going through that. It's like a tunnel or a wormhole Mm -hmm. or a vortex Mm -hmm. or something like that going through. What do you think that there's a difference between spirits and ghosts are ghosts a real thing? And do you think that there's a difference between the two? I think there's more than one phenomenon going on with what we call ghosts. I think there are, there could be energy like echoes, like something really powerful happens in an area. I think that people can sometimes pick up on the energy imprint that's left there. Um, I don't, I don't, I tend not to believe in people who are stuck, you know, for like thousands of years. I don't, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but I have talked to people who have said that they help people who are not really stuck, but not really wet, ready to move forward. They've helped them to to move forward. So I think there are some people that kind of say, I want to hang around here for a while. I like, I like being around my loved ones, or I really like my house, uh, or some people that might have, you know, issues that they need to work on. So I, I think there's something kind of in between, but I think most of what we think our ghosts are just kind of energy imprints. They're just like echoes of the past. It's been my experience that ghosts are a real thing. I've talked to many of them over the years. <laughs> the stories are a riot. My favorite one I've told before is my daughter-in-law, Mallory, at Thanksgiving one year. She and her mom and her aunt and her grandmother were in the grandmother's kitchen. And all of a sudden, these utensils came off from the cabinet side of the cabinet and fell on the floor. And they watched them come mm-hmm. off on their mm-hmm. own. And, they were, and so they were on the phone with me going, what the heck is going on? I wasn't there. And so we, of course, I turned on my radar and found that these were, one was a Civil War soldier and, and his father was a farmer and he was dressed in Civil War attire and all of that. And, and the soldier had died in battle 
and they gave us the family name. He was looking for his daughter who, for some reason, he couldn't find his daughter. So we reunited him with his daughter. Well, one of the grandsons later found the family name, found the original deed to the property that was a farm Hmm. in that family name, found the Civil War soldier, all of that stuff. And my impression of what's going on, and I've had this validated from spirit with ghosts, is everybody goes to heaven when they die, their spirit. And some of us choose to come back and kind of have one foot in the spirit world and one foot in the human world. Hmm. And so that's what they're experiencing and exploring, kind of like somebody wants to come back and experience being a chef in this lifetime or being a being your daughter and leaving early or things like mm-hmm. that. That's been my perspective on it of what I've experienced and been told by spirit. Does that make sense how I explain that? Yeah, and, and it, but it makes me like, like, how do we define a ghost versus just a spirit? You know, because we talked about Shana being here and communicating with me and moving things around, which she does. Um, I wouldn't call Shana a ghost. I would say she's a spirit who still has some connection to to here. Um, so it's, it, a lot of times it comes down to a matter, I, I guess, of semantics. Uh, and I've interviewed, I interviewed a, a priest who actually helps people cross over. And he talked about this one guy that was still totally attached to his wife. And he, he wanted to stay here and look out for his wife and wait till wait till she got there. So. He wasn't ready to, and maybe he had gone to heaven, you know, if we want to use the word heaven, and come back and was was living in this way. Um, I don't really rule anything out. What I do want to do, though, with people is um, I don't think, I don't fear ghosts because some people think, oh, they're evil spirits and they can harm us. And from my understanding is that they can't harm us. They're not here to harm us. Um, But yeah, there's, I'm sure there are people, people have free will, right? So people might say, yeah, I'm not ready to move on to heaven. I want to come back and I want to hang around the farmhouse or I'm, I'm looking for someone or something. Um, and I think there's some people that cross over from my understanding. They feel like they don't deserve to be where, where they need to go. So they'll kind of hang out in a place and people have to go help them. Like, yeah, you can come on. You can, you can move on. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, what I do with ghosts is it's some of them don't know they're dead because that's the role they're playing. Kind of like when we when we hear about people who have NDEs and they come back and they forget all the stuff that they were shown. They know they were shown stuff, but they can't remember all the details. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like men in black, you know, they push the pen and they forget that, the, that they were an alien or they forget that they were in, in front of an alien. Mm-hmm. And so they come back. But then what I have done many times is brought in another family member's spirit who says, no, dad, you're really dead. Come with me. Mm -hmm. And I watch them walk into the light. So it's really interesting what goes on. Speaking of evil spirits and men in black, you know, all of that kind of thing. I've got two questions for you on that. Are there such things as evil spirits? And are there other incarnations, do you believe, in other planets, other solar systems, stuff like that, like eat the whole ET thing. Yeah. Well, two, so, yeah, two, two very different questions in my mind. Um, it's funny because it reminds me right when I hear that question, I remember listening to uh, someone I know, I, I was, she was on a, a podcast with this guy and he was trying to get her to admit she believes in evil spirits and she's a medium. And my answer is kind of like hers. It's like they might exist, but I don't come across them and I don't expect to come across them because I don't I don't give them my my time or energy. 
and I don't think that they, they're going to influence me. Uh, I would never again rule out as being impossible because people have free will. There are, there are evil people on this work, on this planet. And when people cross over, they could still be, I guess they could still be just as evil. Um, but it's not something I give any time or attention to. Uh, in terms of, of what we call aliens or extraterrestrials, again, they're, they're, Earth is just one of an infinite number of places of, as far as I understand, that we can incarnate. So there are different experiences that people have that aren't, aren't human. There are other types of beings, I believe. Um, when we look at the vastness of what we know of the universe, which is not much, we know very, very little of the universe, um, it's, it's impossible, pretty much impossible to believe there's no other intelligent life. So, yeah, I think there are um, other life forms, whether they're in our universe and, and parallel dimensions or wherever they may be. So do you think that spirits, that our spirits can get incarnate in different life forms, in different planets, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting. I just talked to someone a couple of days ago. She's an animal communicator. And a lot of times people will say, if, if you're a human, you're always going to be a human. You're never going to be a dog. You're never going to be, um, you know, uh, a worm, you're a butterfly, an eagle, whatever. And she said, no, I've talked to dogs that have said I was this person's son. And she told this one person that, and they said, well, I'm a Buddhist. This lines up with my beliefs. But I think we like to believe because we are humans, we are the highest form of life. So therefore, we would never incarnate as anything other that's lower. Um, and, I, you know, I, we were talking about that. And I said, why do we think we're the highest form of life? You know, if there are aliens, if there are extraterrestrials, there are probably some that are way more advanced than we are. And they, they might say... Yeah. I would never incarnate as a human. They're basically animals. So, um, yeah, I don't think we're always necessarily human. I think we could be other things as well. I've seen in my mind's eye uh, lifetimes on different planets with doing past life scans with people. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorites, <laughs> I saw this guy on another planet that it looked like a Star Wars set. And it looked like jets and cars flying around and buildings it looked like a star wars set of a of a um city mm -hmm. if you will mm -hmm. big tall buildings stuff like that and and at first i thought oh this is a future thing and then i got it was in the 1930s in our linear time and i thought holy schmoly this is a past life event on a different planet and you'll love this because the guy who had called into my show he said well he was an engineer and he wanted to know if there were any past lives in which he'd been an engineer, which one was the most applicable to what he was doing mm -hmm. today. And so I got this vision in my mind's eye of this past life on a different planet. And in that lifetime, this guy was head of the electrical grid that operated everything. And I said to him, what kind of engineer are you? And he said, I'm an electrical engineer. Yeah. I said, well, there you go. He built built jet engines for GE. Yeah. And that's that's what he did for a living. I think that's a riot. Well, and guardian angels are funny because when I talked to a person's guardian angel early on, they'd give me these names that were 15 letters and it was all consonants. And I'd say, how the heck am I supposed to pronounce that? And I'd say, can't you just give me an American English name or a nickname? And so now they'll say, okay, my name's whatever, but they can call me Sam or they can call me Mary or something that's easy to say. And that goes back to your point earlier about 
different languages are there, but we translate them into our native language as we're receiving telepathic information. Sure. sure. Which I have experienced that many times when I'm seeing print in a different language, maybe in a past life or or I'm being shown a vision of something and it's in Arabic or something that I don't speak. And I'll get what the English translation is for that. So I find that fascinating. Spirit's always going to communicate in a language that we understand. I guess I never really thought about it before that it's our brain that's translating the frequency of the information that's being sent, Mm -hmm. perhaps in a universal, what do they call those binary beats or something? What is that? Uh, it could be, I don't yeah, know. it's in some sort of frequency. I, I, yeah, I think, I like what you said earlier about our brains being like big satellite dishes. I believe our brains are transceivers. They're both receivers and uh, and transmitters. And we, we constantly communicate with the other side, whether it's with our higher self or with our loved ones or our guides or whatever. We just don't really realize that we're communicating with the other side. And, you know, th- these beings, when very specific people like yourself, have that connection, they can say, oh, this person can understand this. So let me give this to them in a way that they can understand it. Where most of us don't have that that equipment or it's not tuned to the right level. I, I know mediums will say, I can drop into that. It's a state that they drop their brain into. It's it's so some some are trained into that, some are, are natural um, and they just kind of operate there. It's like they're they're always just one thought away from being in that state. Right, right. It, we get into it in a nanosecond, mm-hmm. and that's how I teach it. And and I didn't do this as a child either. I learned how to do all of this stuff. Yeah. So that's interesting how you talk about that. You mentioned energy imprints a minute ago. Mm-hmm. What's an energy imprint? Well, again, I'm, this is just the way I'm thinking about some of the th- phenomena that people say, like, um, you know, there. I hear this rattling every night upstairs in the in the in the closet or whatever. Um, that's the way that I perceive it. Now, it, it may be that there is a spirit that's there, you know, that's doing that. Um, but, I, you know, it's also interesting because you were talking about this. And we talked about time is different on the other side because I don't want people to fear like, oh, these these ghosts are stuck for thousands of years. We don't know how they perceive time either. So what might be a thousand years for us might be five minutes on the other side or five, you know, five days or something. So, um yeah, this all just just trying to put things into perspective. So energy imprint is one way that I, I thought would be an interesting way of describing some of the events that people experience around a particular place. Like this place is always cold or um, this place is is whatever. But, and it's all conjecture yes, at the end of the mm-hmm. day because we don't know. It is. There's a, there's a chapter in my book about a train wreck and I – when I was in this building, I turned on my radar and I could see this makeshift morgue in the building. And there were bodies lined up against the Mm -hmm. walls with sheets over them. And then, so later on, we found that there had been a train wreck on that day in that vicinity Mm -hmm. in the town. It happened here in Birmingham where I am. But I thought that doesn't make sense because they said only a certain number of people died and there were way more bodies or way more corpses with sheets over them there. Well, what I learned was there it was during a TB outbreak. Oh. And so it was a makeshift morgue where people would die very suddenly, like somebody go to work 
and they'd come home that day and some of their family members would have passed during the day. And so that was the makeshift morgue that the people who died from the train wreck were taken Mm -hmm. to. So I think it's really fun to put these little pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, and that's what I would call an energy imprint. That that location has so much energy, so much psychic energy, if you want to use that phrase. It's like when you walk into a room and there's been a big argument. Sometimes you're a very sensitive person without even saying a word. You'll just know that something just happened there. Um, So I think if it's a really big event, it might leave that kind of an echo, that kind of an imprint. Um, We know that like random number generators that are posts around the world that just they're random but they're pretty steady because their randomness evens out when there's a big event like a 9-11 they spike there's a there's an imprint that's left that just that Im- impacts those random number generators so i think there might be energy in certain places that kind of echoes you know and people that walk in and go something happened here something really big happened here what's a random energy generator random number generators yeah they're Random Science, I don't generator. know why they haven't set up, but they're around the, there's computer things that just spit out random numbers, but they, they create a, a pattern. It's like, it's like if you flipped a coin. So if you flip a coin, you know, three times, you might get two heads and a tail. But if you flip it a thousand times, you're going to get somewhere really close to, you know, half and half. And so these random number generators, they, they look at them to see variations in this, the variations that they're interested in. And as I said, what happens sometimes when there are these big events and nobody can explain why, the random number generators will just go crazy. And sometimes actually before the event happens. What, hap- what do you mean they go crazy? They, what they go mean? off standard deviation. They, they, they move one way or the other uh, in, in unexpected ways. So um, hmm. I'm not explaining it very well, but it's like if you expect it to be a baseline like this, you'll see a spike. Okay. I've never heard of that. I'm going to have to look that up. Why do you say everything works out for the best? Um, Well, a couple of reasons. One is, in the long run, we all go home. So no matter what happens while we're here, everything is temporary. So I tell people that's good and bad news. So all the good things that we experience here are going to eventually fade. So you should enjoy them while you're having them. All the bad things that you experience here are eventually going to end. But it's like uh, we're playing this game that we can't lose because we, we all go home. So sometimes things work out in the short term. You know, we something happens that we really like. We meet a person that we fall in love with or, you know, we have a child or we do something that's really great. Um, and we see the, you know, that working out really in the short term. Sometimes it could be things like when I lost my job, you know, that works out in a little bit longer term. But I think everything in life actually does work. I know it, it actually works out eventually. Uh, whether we see it in this lifetime or not is really, I think a lot of times it's up to us. It's how, it's how we perceive it. Um, I teach something called positive intelligence. And the thing we work on is like, how do I look at this positively? And I don't mean like in a, in a Pollyanna kind of way, like this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. But what can I learn from this? How can I use this to inspire me? Um, how can I use this to help others? There's always something that we can find good in something or something that we can make good come out of it. So it's actually a choice if we want to make it good in the short term. But again, I think at, at one point, when we're all back home and looking back on this life, we'll say everything that happened to me 
worked out. It all worked out for a reason. You know, the thematophobia I had when I was a child that, that kept me awake at night that, that caused me to have panic attacks um, is the reason why I'm doing the work I'm, I'm doing today. Uh, my daughter passing away is the reason why I'm doing the work I'm doing today. So those things I can see already the impact that they've had. So if I take that and I project it into the future, I can say pretty much anything that happens to me, I, I think is I, I think is going to be for the best. And I've talked to people, people that have had terrible diseases, people that have had cancer, said it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I talked to a mother of a boy who was born um, with a disease where he never spoke. He never, he never talked, never walked. Um, and he was 11 when he passed away. And said it was the best thing that ever happened to her or her family. So if people can see that, I think that everything works out for the best. What's the purpose of life? Uh, it's different for everybody. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I've learned this just recently. It's, we like to say we all come here to learn. We all come here to grow. I think that's true for a lot of us, maybe even most of us. Um, some people, I think, just come here to have fun. It's like, it's like, I wouldn't say it's a vacation. It's an adventure. I think some, some people come here to have fun. Um, but the purpose of life in general is to have experiences, to grow, to get better, to, to add to the collective consciousness. Um, as consciousness expands, as we have experiences, we all share those experiences and we get deeper in our capacity to, to love, to appreciate um, what we have and to have these experiences. I, I always get that we're here to create. People say, create what? I say, well, that's where free will comes yeah, in. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, in you know, we, we are, we are, we're told we're made in the image of our creator. And I think that's true. I think that we are creative beings. Um, I, I, I kind of shy away from universals anymore because, you know, there could be exceptions. There are people that don't, maybe not here to create. I don't know. But I think that's the purpose of creation is for us to, to be creators, to be like little mini versions of, of source and to experiment and to play and to, and to grow and to, help each other, um, you know, all, all the things that people have NDEs tell us, right? And they tell us it's all about love. It's all about relationships. Um, so it's it's to experience each other and help each other along the way. How can people learn more about you and the work that you do and what you create all the time? Um, they can go to my website. It's grieftogrowth.com, grief, numeral two, growth.com. Um, you can go there. You can find out more about my podcast, my book. Um, I offer, I have a free download. So if people want to go there and go to grieftogrowth.com slash gems. I've got a little mini book that tells people the four things that I try to do every day to, to improve my life. I think can help improve your life. Um, so go there and you can always write to me and, uh, I'd be happy to talk to you. Okay, so the four gems, you're not going to just leave us hanging on that. What are the four gems? Four gems are gratitude practice, um, exercise, meditation or mindfulness, and um, self-care. Um, so it's, it's, those are four things that I think everybody should do in some form of every day. So I get up in the morning, I do a gratitude practice for, before I get out of bed. I try to exercise every day. That can be whatever works for you. I practice some sort of mindfulness or meditation. And it's also really important to, to take care of yourself. It's, it's, 
Um, I find a lot of people uh, just don't do a really good job of that. So in my book, I kind of give you some tips on how to do that. Okay, terrific. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us. You obviously are brilliant. And that's why I loved the opportunity to fire a bunch (laughs) of questions at you that were kind of all over the board. You were a really good sport for that. So thanks so much for joining us today. Everybody, that's it for this week. Sending you lots of love from Sweet Home, Alabama. And from Cincinnati, too, where Brian is. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan. And like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.